With Hashem's assistance, we are learning Gittin Daf Nun Ches, page 58. We begin at the very bottom of Nun Zayin Beis, page 57b. Amar Rabba Barbachan, at the very end of the line, Amar Barbachan, Rabba Barbachan said in the name of Barbachan, Arbaim saw ketutzei tefillin imtzu barashe harugei beitar. There were 40, uh, 40 measures of tefillin that were found on the heads of those who were killed in Beitar. Rabbi Yanai, Rabbi Shmuel, Amar, Shalesh Kupois, Shalar Boim, Arbaim saw. Rabbi Yanai, the son of Rabbi Shmuel, says that no, it was actually three barrels, three boxes, each one containing 40 sa'a, 40 measures. That's how much there were. But Masnisatana, in the Brisa, they said, Arbaim Kupois, Shal Shalesh Shalesh Sain. It was actually 40 boxes, each one containing three sa'a. Vilay Pligi, there's no argument here. Hadaresha, Hadadara. Depends if we're talking about the Shalrosh, the Tefillin of the head, or the Tefillin of the arm. And Rashi explains that the tulin of the head, since it has four partios, so it has to be bigger. So therefore, the the one that was bigger, the one that was greater, was the one of the shal rosh, and the one that was the smaller amount was the shalyat. Amar Rabbi Asi, Rabbi Asi says, Arbo'o kabin moyach nimsu al even achas. Rabbi Asi says that there were four calves, four measures of brains that were found on a certain stone. Ula Amar tisha kabin. Ula says there were nine measures. Amar of Kahana. Rav Kahana says, Vitema Shila Barmari. There are those who say it was Shila Barmari. Me'ekra, from where do we see this in the verse? From the following, Bas Bol Hashiluda Ashishishal The verse says that the daughter of Babylonia, this is reference to Edom, so it's going to be repaid. Ashishishishis Vinipetsas Olalayach Elasola. Praised will it be, the one that shall dra- grab your child, referring to Edom, and smash it against the rock. Meaning there's going to be a retribution because of the thing that David is smashing the children of the Jew against the rock. And that's why there were all these brains on the rocks. So there's going to be a retribution for them. They're going to receive what they did to us in return. Be- we continue with the Gemara. The precious ones of the children of Zion, the ones are Misulaim Bepaz. Paz is fine gold. My misula in the paz. What does it mean? Misula in the paz. If it means that they were completely covered with fine gold from top to bottom, it can't be true because we know that the Bay Rabishila they said as follows Tarti Mitkali Estiri Pisa Nachisbaama. Two measures of of this fine gold came down into the world. One of those measures went down to Rome and the other one went was spread out throughout the entire world. So that means that some, this fine gold that we're talking about is not something that's very common. So it can't be that they were covered, all the Jews were covered from top to bottom with fine gold. That what it means, the verse is when it says the children of Zion were more precious, or they were precious, what that means is they were more precious, they made fine gold look like nothing with their beauty. The children of Zion, the children of the people of Israel were so beautiful that they made fine gold pale in comparison. Meikara, originally, the important people of Rome, so what they would do is when they were having relations with their wives, so what they used to do is in order to have beautiful children, so they would have these special coins that on those coins were engraved a beautiful face, and they would have relations with their wives, and their wives would be looking at these coins in order that when they had relations, they would be seeing these beautiful faces, and thus the children would be born with beautiful faces. But from then on, they would take these Jewish children, and they would tie them onto the the posts of their beds, and that's what they would do, they had relations, and thus their wives would be looking at these beautiful children of the Jewish people, and that's how they would have the right sights 
when they were conceiving, and thus their children will be born beautifully. So one of these Jewish kids who was tied onto the bedpost said to his friend, Where do we see that this is the type of punishment that the Jewish people will receive when we rebel, rebel against God, heaven forbid? So he responded and said, The verse says that there are certain things that the Torah doesn't even want to write, how horrible the punishment is going to be for the people of Israel if they rebel against God. So the other kid said to the first one, how far am I away from learning those verses that you're talking about? Meaning he was learning the verses, but he hadn't gotten up to there. You're only one and a half pages away. If I had already reached those verses, I wouldn't have needed to ask you where we see it from the verses. Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, ben Gamliel, in the name of Rabbi Gamliel, what does it mean in the verse when it says, my eyes bemoan to my soul, from all the daughters of my city? So he explains, there were 400 synagogues in the, in the town of Betar. In each one of these synagogues, there were 400 men who were teaching children. Each one of these 400 in the 400 synagogues had also 400 children that they were teaching. These children. And when the enemy came into there, they would stab them, thrust them through with their staffs. It's not clear who's thrusting who through. It sounds like these kids were hitting the soldiers with their staffs. However, when the enemy overcame, and they took over the city, so they took these kids, they wrapped them up in their scrolls that they were learning from, and they burnt them on fire. We learned in a bride, there was a story with Rabbi Shubh, the son of Hananiah, he went to a great city in Rome, they told him, there's a young child who's inside of jail, beautiful eyes, beautiful to look at, and his hair is very set, in, in braids, so he went and he stood at the entrance of the jail, Amr, and he said us out loud as follows, Who gave over Jacob to destruction and the people of Israel to looters? So that child responded when he said this verse, and he said, It's God. It's this God that we have sinned to. We haven't gone in his ways. So we've gone and we have not listened to his Torah, to his commandments. Amar, so when he heard this, he said, I'm sure that this child is going to be someone who's going to teach the Torah and teach halacha to the people of Israel. I swear by the service of the Beis HaMikdash, by the temple service, I'm not going to move from here until I redeem him. For whatever amount of money that they want for him. Amrusa, they said about him, He didn't move from there until he had redeemed him for a lot of money. It wasn't many days until that child indeed became a great rabbi amongst the people of Israel. And who is this? Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha. This is referring to Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Elisha. There was a story with the son and daughter of Rabbi Shmuel ben Elisha, who was the high priest. They are captured by two separate masters, 
within a few days, these two masters met each other in, in some place. This one said, I have a slave who there's no one beautiful, more beautiful than him in all the world. And this one said, I have a maidservant who in the entire world is no one that has as great beauty. Amru, so they said to each other, let's marry them to each other, and we'll split up the children. They put them into a darkened room at night. Each one sat in their corner. He says to himself, I am a Kohen, the son of the greatest Kohanim, the Kohen God of the High Priest. Am I going to be married? I'm going to have relations with a maidservant. And the girl said, his sister said, I'm a, a Kohen woman, the daughter of the high priest. And how am I going to marry a slave? They were, they were crying all night long. When the dawn broke, they recognized each other and they fell on each other in an embrace. And they continued to cry until their souls left them. And about them did Jeremiah lament, For these do I cry, My eye, my eye, gives out water. Amrish, Lakish, Lakish says, There's a story with a certain woman. Her name was Tzafnas, the daughter of Peniel. Tzafnas, why was she called Tzafnas? She called Everyone looked at her beauty. Bas Peniel, why was she called Bas Peniel? She was the daughter of the high priest, Shemesh, Lefnaim, Lefnaim, that so he was the person who served in the Holy of Holies. She is Alba Shaboy Kalalila. So this woman Tzafnas was Peniel. She was violated all night long. Lamachar the next day Hilbisha Shiva Chalukim. They covered her. They dressed her in seven clothings. They took her out to sell her. So this guy comes along. who's tremendously ugly. He said, "Show me her beauty." So the guy who was selling her says to this guy, "You fool." If you want to buy her, buy her. You can trust me that there's no one more beautiful than her in all the world. Kula, in its entirety. So he says to him, Nevertheless, I still want to be able to see. So they were taking off her clothes, and they took off the six outer garments. And she took the seventh one, and she ripped it apart. And she bent down, and she rolled around in the dust. She said in front of Hashem, Master of the world, if you haven't had mercy upon us, why don't you have mercy because of the holiness of your mighty name? And about her did Jeremiah say the following lament, the daughter of my nation, put on sackcloth, this palshib offer, roll around in the dirt. Make for yourself a mourning of a single person, a bitter eulogy. Suddenly will the destroyer come upon us. The verse says, will come upon us. It doesn't say, will come upon you. It says, upon us. It's as if to say that it's going to come upon Hashem, upon God, and us as well. That's who the, the destroyer comes upon. Rav Yehuda says the name of Rav Maidech Siv, what does it mean in the verse when it says, Va'ashku Gever, they will steal from a man, Ubezoi, and his house, Ve'ish Nachlasoi, Ve'ish Ve'nachlasoi, and a man, and his portion. So it's referring to the following story, Ma'isab Adam Echot, there was a story with a certain man, Shanasan Eina Ve'ish's Rabbi. So this guy, we'll call him Ruvain, so Ruvain had a teacher, a teacher who taught him his trade, let's call him Shimon, and Ruvain decided that he wants to marry his, his teacher's wife. 
and he was an apprentice to a carpenter. Pamachas, one time, Hutzrich Lolav is the master, his his teacher, needed to borrow money. Amarloi, Shkarishli. So this student says to his master, Send your wife to me, Valvena, and I'll give her the money. So he sends his wife to this student to get the money. So he had her stay at his house for three days, and he devised this plan in order to be able to marry her. So now, so the master, the teacher came and, and came to his house. I sent you my wife. What happened to her? She never came home. So the student said, I sent her away right away. And I heard that the kids were violating her on the way home. And so what he was basically saying was that, you know, the only way that the kids could get you is if you're interested. So the master said to his student, what should I do? So he says, if you listen to my advice, you should divorce her. Because she's not a good woman, you shouldn't stay married to her. So the master said, the amount I'm going to have to pay to her if I divorce her is a tremendous amount of money. So the student said, I'll lend you the money, don't worry. Give her the ksuva money. So the, the the teacher went and he divorced his wife, and the student went and married her. So what happens to the master? The teacher didn't have money to pay. So the student said to him, don't worry, you just come and you're going to serve me. You'll be my servant and you'll pay back the loan that you owe. So now the student and the master's previous wife, who now was married to the student, were sitting and eating, and drinking. And the, the one who had been the, the teacher was standing there and, and pouring water for them. And the tears were falling from his eyes, and falling into their cups. And because of this story, at that moment, that's when the final decree was signed and sealed that the base Hamidash, the temple, would be destroyed. Those who say that it was actually not because of this, but rather because there were two men who had relations with the same woman, the same married woman, and since that, that's something that was occurring, so therefore that's what led to the final destruction of the base Hamidash. So we said in the Mishnah, if, if you have this non-Jew, we call him Bob, and Bob forced Ruvain to give him his piece of land, and now Shimon wants to come along and buy this land, so if he first goes to the Sikrikon to Bob, who forced him to, to, to sell it to him, and he buys it from the Sikrikon, so now he goes back to the first guy, to Ruvain, who originally owned the property, and he asks him to sell it, so he said in the Mishnah that if you go first to the Sikrikon and then to the person that it was taken from, it doesn't work. This was only said, when do we say that it doesn't work if the original owner says to him, go and grab it and become it, let it transfer into your possession. But if there was some kind of document that was written, then it does indeed work. Which means that when he, when he actually writes a document that says, I'm going to let it go into your possession, even though I previously owned it, and you bought it from the Sikriko, from the guy who forced me to give it over. So he's showing that he really indeed, completely with his full heart, intends to give it over. Shmuel says, Even if you wrote some kind of document, he still doesn't mean to give it over until he guarantees on this document that he's going to give it over with a full heart, and if something happens, that, that he guarantees that he's not going to take it back, he really means to sell it. It's clear from the document that he totally, totally means to sell it. We turn to Nunchesim Abayz, page 58b. Tanik HaVasei Deshmo Vya Braisa Lech Shmuel. Rabbi Shimon Ben Elazar, Amir Rabbi Shimon Ben Elazar says, Lakach Men Ha'ish, Vechazer Lakach Men Ha'ish. This is a parallel case by a, a, a man and his wife. So if you have, so you have this 
woman and she's supposed to get if her husband divorces her or if her husband dies so she gets that there's a certain piece of land that's set aside for her now let's say this guy wants to buy that piece of land so first he goes to the woman and then he goes to the man so so then it does indeed work if let's say he went first to the man and then he went to the woman to make sure that she's okay with it so we said in the Mishnah also the same halacha that the Mecca this, this, uh, this sale is not good because if a woman is going to say that it's okay with her she's really just saying it because she doesn't want her husband to think that she's waiting for him to die or to divorce her but she doesn't really mean to do it so therefore it's batum it's nullified until until she guarantees it because then she shows that she really is serious about it so therefore we see exactly like Shmuel it says that it's not enough to write any kind of document but you have to guarantee it in the document so let us say that this is actually going to destroy Rav's shop because he says that it's, you don't need a Christ you don't need to guarantee anything you just have to have a document it's enough to show that they're really serious about the sale answer you my when we say here, when we say that you need to have a guarantee it means that you have this document that shows that you really are serious and therefore it doesn't really need to be that you go so far as to say that you have any kind of guarantees but it's just enough to write a document we learned in a bright set let's you bought it from this sikrikon the guy who's, who forced the Jew to sell it and then you went and you were on that piece of land for three years in front of the owners the original owners then you went and you sold it to somebody else so now the original owners want to say to the new buyers, the people who just bought it, from the one who bought it from the Sikrikon, they want to come and say something, this is our piece of land, they have no taina, they can't say anything. What's the case? If the case is where the new buyers are saying to the original owner, that the guy that we bought it from, the in-between party, so he says that he bought it from you. I feel the Rishonami, so wait, so the first guy can also say that, meaning, let's, let's give you a case, we have a Sikrikon, Bob, Bob the guy, he's the one who took it away from Ruving. Now Shimon bought it from the Sikrikon, and Shimon sold it to Levi. Now, Ruvain, the original owner, comes to Levi and says, that's my piece of land. It's been, it's been three years, but it's my piece of land. So now, Levi has the ability to say to, to Ruvain, listen, Shimon paid you for whatever portion you had in it. So therefore, I had a right to buy it from him. So Gmar says, if that's true, if that's the case, so then we don't need to talk about a case where there's a third party where there's Levi. You could even be talking about Shimon because Shimon himself can say the same thing to Reuven. He could say, if Reuven comes along and says, this is my piece of land, Shimon can say, what do you mean? I paid you already for it. So that can't be the case. And if Levi is not saying that I bought it, that, that it was bought from you by, by Shimon, so So then the second guy has no right to the property either. So Rav Sheshe says, what's the case? Really the case is where Levi is not saying anything. He's not creating any time. He doesn't have anything to say. And in such a case, so the best in the court will actually say this on his behalf. The court will say, we have to assume that Shimon, who was in between, did indeed pay off Ruvain at the original time. And therefore... Otherwise, why is he waiting three years for, for him to, to wake up? The Idach, and so what about the first guy? So why couldn't Shimon, the one who was in the middle, why couldn't he say that himself? Itain in. So if he indeed says it, then fine. The Eloitain low, but if he doesn't say it, so the Bez in the court is not going to say that thing for him. Because if he really did indeed pay Ruvain, so he would for sure say it on his own. But Levi, the third guy, he doesn't really know what happened, so therefore he's not going to say it on his own, but the court will indeed make that taina for him. A piece of land that comes to a non-Jew because there was money that was owed to him and instead he took this piece of land or because he comes and he forces the Jew to give it to him 
the case of Sikrikon, by the way, is a case where he was he said to the Jew, this guy said to the Jew, I'm going to kill you, and the Jew said, don't kill me, take my piece of land. The case of Amparus is where the guy says to the Jew, you owe me money, and he doesn't really owe him money, and the Jew says, you know, just take this piece of land instead. So the halachas of Sikrikon do not apply to both of these cases where the non-Jew got it because of a loan or because of Amparus. And the case of Amparus itself, where the, the non-Jew took it, uh, he forced it out of the Jew. So you have to wait 12 months in order to be able to buy it from this non-Jew. So Mar says, wait, what do you mean you can't buy it from, this, from the non-Jew when he forced it away from the Jew? Because the Jew doesn't really mean to give it over to him, only when he's being threatened with his life. So we so the Gemara says Hachikon. This is what it means. Sikrikon ans matzricha shetisha yud beis chaydesh. That by the case of Sikrikon, we threatened him with his life in order to be able to take it. You have to wait twelve months because then and only then have you given the 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 guy who was forced away from the opportunity to get his piece of land back. Amar Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef says Naktina, and we take on ain amparis bebavel. There's no amparis. And there's no case of a, a non-Jew forcing a Jew to give him his land in Babylonia. The Gemara says, wait, what do you mean? There are non-Jews who do that. So we say, what does it mean? The halachas of Amparis do not apply in Babylonia. Even if a non-Jew goes and forces him, forces a Jew to, to give up his piece of land. So even though we just said that in such a case, another Jew cannot come along and buy this piece of land because it's not considered given over, in Babylonia it, it is considered given over. Why? My time, since there is recourse for the Jew, he can go to court to demand his piece of land back, and he hasn't done that, so clearly he's mochel, the Jew, the original guy who owned the piece of land, has clearly given it over completely to the non-Jew. So therefore, another Jew who wants to come along and buy it from this non-Jew is allowed to. This man, Gidl, the son of Re'iloi, so he received a piece of land because there was a group of properties that they all had to pay a tax to the king. And uh, so these B'nai Baga, B'nai Baga he, got, he got it from these B'nai Baga, these guys who were in charge of making sure that the king got the tax. So the original owners, so they had left a piece of land fallow, they weren't working the land, they had left, they had gone somewhere. Meanwhile, the B'nai Baga were in charge of uh, you know, collecting the tax, didn't have anyone to pay the tax because there was no one working the piece of land. So what they said was to Gidl, they said to this guy, you work the piece of land, and whatever you produce is yours, and you give us the tax. We have the money to pay the tax. So Gidl went and he paid three years in advance. And in the end, So the original owners came before those three years were up, and they said like this, So you had it for one year, you paid for it already. So he said, listen, for the next two years, we're going to pay the king directly, and we're going to get the, we're going to have our land back. Also, the Kamidera Papa. So Gidla wasn't going to take this, you know. And he said, you know, I already paid for the land. I'm gonna. I already paid the tax, so I, I should have the rights to use the piece of land. So they came in front of Rapapa. So Rapapa, he held that what, what we should do is we should have it that Gidla can go and collect from the tax collectors, collect his money back. the son of Yeshua said to Rapapa, if you allow the uh, Gidl to collect back his money from the B'nai Baga, from these tax collectors, you're going you're gonna to run into problems because what, basically what you're going to do is you're going to make it look like the king is not just collecting a tax, but rather like the king has stolen the piece of land. And that's the only way that you can get that Gidl is going to get his money back from the tax collectors.
basically what he's saying is that this is more domet, more considered like the case of Amparos, where someone comes along and someone goes, a non-Jew, let's say, comes along and takes a piece of land illegally from a Jew. So now if someone else wants to come along and buy from the Amparos, he's totally wasting his money because everyone's supposed to know, and everyone does know, that this piece of land does not belong to this non-Jew. And therefore, if you try to give him the money to take the piece of land, you lost your money. There's no recourse for you. You should have known better. So basically, that's what he's saying is the same thing over here. El Amar of Huna, of Yeshua. So Rav Huna, of Yeshua, said like this, He basically put his money on the horns of a deer, and the, the deer ran off with his money. He lost his money. There's no recourse for him. Zumishna Rishana, Bezan Shal Acharem, Amru. This was the original law in regards to Sikrika when we said in the Mishnah, but the later court said, that a person who buys from a Sikrika, and so he has to give the original owners a quarter of the value. Amarav, Revia Bekarka, or Revia Bemois. What does he give, says Rav? He gives a quarter of the value of the land, a quarter of a piece of, a quarter of the land that he bought, or a quarter of the value in money. Which we're going to see exactly what the machlokus is in a moment. Ushmul Amar Shmuel says no. Revia bekarka he gives a quarter of the land shehin shlish b'mos, which is actually a third of the money that he gave over. But my kamafliki, what are they arguing about? Mar savar nechi revia zovin umar savar nechi chumsha zovin. The argument has to do with when a sikrikum goes and resells the piece of land, so he's not selling it for the full value because he wants to sell it quickly. He wants to get, you know, he wants to cash in. So what is he doing? How much does he make the value go down? So according to Rav, so the price that the sikrikum is charging is actually four-fifths of the full market value. Thus, when I pay, let's say, $100, so that's four-fifths, according to Rav, of the full value, which is $125. So now, so I paid 100 so what do I do in regards to the original owners? I give him a quarter of the amount of money that I orig- that I spent now, which is $25, but $25 corresponds to one-fifth of the actual land itself, because the full market value of the land is $125, so $25 is a fifth of the value of the whole piece of land. That's what Rav holds, and Shmuel holds no. When he charges me $100, that's really two-thirds of the full value. Thus, the full value of the property is $133. So now, Shmuel holds that when I give the original owner money, I'm not giving him a quarter of the amount that I that I paid to the Sikrikum, but rather I give him a third of the amount, which is a quarter of the full value of the property. The full value is 133 I'm giving him $33, which is a third of the amount that I paid, but it's a quarter of the full amount of the property. Thus, it comes out that I'm giving a quarter of the property. If he wants to take the piece of property, because the full value of the property is 133 One quarter of that is 33 That $33 will get you a quarter of the piece of land. So therefore, that's what Shmuel holds. Mesfer, the Gemara asks, Zu Mishnari Shaina, this was the original way it was done. This is a brysa here. Bezen Shalacharem Amru HaLekech Manasikrikon, the later court said like this, if you buy from a Sikrikon, no sinla by the Merviya, you give the original owners a quarter. Vyad Bailam Alayayna, the original owners have the upper hand. Ratsu Bekakar Nightlin, Ratsu Bemois Nightlin, they can either take from the piece of land or they can take cash. Amosai, when are we talking about Bismanch Ein Biyadon Likach? When they don't have the ability to buy, but if the original owners have the ability to buy that piece of land back, they have first rights, first dibs on getting their piece of land back. Rebbe Hoshev Bezdin, one time Rebbe, they sat down at court, and they decided that once it's already been by the Sikrikon for 12 months, and the original owner has not yet bought it, whoever wants, whoever is the first one to come and buy it, so they can. And it doesn't go back to the original owner. But nevertheless, you still have to give the original owners a quarter of the of the land, or a quarter of the money. So that sounds very much like Rav's understanding. 
Rav Ashi, so Rav Ashi says, Rav Ashi says this could also work out according to Shmuel. When we say a quarter, what does it mean a quarter? It means a quarter of the full value of the piece of land. And that's how it can work out even according to Shmuel.